0: Revelation chapter 6 tonight. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 11. I have it wrong in your notes. I have it 7 to 17, but we're not going to go through verse 17. We're going to look at that next Sunday night, Lord willing. We're going to look at verses 7 to 11, which say this, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the soul of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? and there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you for the fact that you hold the prophetic plan completely in your hands. This is all time regulated. We believe, Lord, as we see events taking shape in this world, that we're moving toward the events that ultimately will be fulfilled right here in this portion of Scripture. And as we see events starting to take shape, I pray that we would be people who would be zoned in on understanding the Scriptures with a laser focus and applying it to our own lives. We know, Lord, that it won't be long, one way or another, we'll be seeing you face-to-face We pray that it will be a joyful time when it happens. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a seven-year period of time that will immediately precede the second coming of Jesus Christ. There will be nothing like it. There has been nothing like it. It is the Great Tribulation. The things that are described that will take place are things that have never been seen anywhere in history. The wrath contained in the seven-sealed scroll book is in heaven. And once the Lord starts breaking open those seals, it's going to unleash a ferocious judgment, the likes of which has never been seen before. Revelation chapter 6 is the beginning of the great tribulation in which Jesus Christ starts breaking open those tribulation seals. He begins to pour out the wrath of God on this God-rejecting, Bible-hating, Christ-rejecting, God-mocking, Israel-hating world. And so far, we've looked at three of those first sealed judgments. The surfacing of the Antichrist, we saw that. We saw last time war is going to break out in an unprecedented level. There will be civil war, national war, international war. You can see the stage being set right now for civil war, for goodness sakes, with just what happened with the Supreme Court ruling this week. And there will be famine. Famine that will break out worldwide, the likes of which has never been seen before. Now we come to two other sealed judgments sealed judgments number four and five. And this fourth sealed judgment is a great tribulation judgment of death. Death. It's a judgment of death. Now people die every day. Almost 60 million people die in the world every day, and about 3 million people die every year in the United States. So people die every day. We've had our share of deaths in this church. Since 2020, from about the middle of January the 15th, when the first person of this church that was intimately connected to this church died, until June 5, we've had 23 people die in this church in just 29 months. Twenty-three people have died which means a person dies connected to this fellowship about every 38 days. Now, when I look at that, to me, those are big numbers, but those numbers are nothing compared to what the tribulation is going to be like. The tribulation judgment will change those numbers dramatically. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who said, unless those days had been time regulated, there would be no life saved, no flesh saved. The great tribulation is going to kill people. Now, we have about 8 billion people in the world right now, and the number of deaths when this judgment is implemented is going to be 2 billion people. The number of deaths in the United States with a population of over 332 million people is going to be 83 million people. So this world has never seen the kind of judgments that's described here on a worldwide scale when this sealed judgment takes place. Now, this sealed judgment has been publicized the most in Hollywood by movies. There's an old rawhide episode that was done in 1963 in which a cattle drive was underway and the twin brother of a guy who was killed showed up to the cattle drive to kill the person who killed their brother and they called that guy the Pale Rider. In fact, it was Clint Eastwood, who gunned down the guy's brother, and he was the guy who was identified as the pale rider. It's an interesting thing that the guy who actually played the twin brother, this is just a fascinating thing to me, was Albert Salmi. Albert Salmi, who played the guy who was tracking down his brother's killer, ended up killing his wife and killing himself at a real young age, in real life. So it's been identified as that. Clint Eastwood made a movie called Pale Rider. It was filmed out where we used to live near Idaho. know. used to take people out and show them the canyons when they would come out to visit us. I'd say, well, I'll show you where they filmed the movie Pale Rider. In the life story of Wyatt Earp, John Ringo said he was the Pale Rider. So this theme of Pale Rider has been publicized the most by Hollywood, but this sealed judgment does not in any way make that legitimate. In fact, there's no connection to this. This sealed judgment proves that the Great Tribulation has never happened yet because there is no place in history where what is described here has happened yet. This judgment is going to kill one quarter of the world's population. It'll be a judgment coming from God that will kill one quarter of the world's population. There are five facts I want to show you from this sealed judgment. First of all, it begins when Jesus Christ breaks open the seal. You'll notice verse 7, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal. Now in this dispensation that we're in, this dispensation of grace, our message to people is you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and you can escape the wrath of God and live. In the great tribulation, the message to receive is you're going to be hit with the wrath of God, you're going to die. And Jesus Christ is the one who's authorizing this. He's the one who's going to authorize this death sentence judgment on the world directly from heaven. And we certainly saw from Jeremiah and Lamentation that death is just as much a sovereign work of God as life. He's the one who determines who lives. He's the one who determines who dies. Now, it is the lamb, according to verse 7, who initiates this judgment. This same lamb that can save us is the same lamb that can judge. The same lamb that can offer grace is the same lamb that can pour out wrath. And what is happening here is the lamb is authorizing the wrath of God to be poured out on the earth that kills people. The second fact is the fourth tribulation judgment begins when the fourth living creature commands it. Verse 7 says, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. Now this is fascinating because the Lord Jesus Christ could have just bypassed this step, but God has things structured in heaven. He obviously wants us to realize when these tribulation judgments go down, this is coming as a carefully planned, highly organized, distinct judgment coming out of heaven. There are high-ranked angelic beings that are involved at his throne who have these responsibilities. This fourth high-ranking cherubim, is used to start the fourth sealed judgment. It's given a command to start it, to begin this particular sealed judgment. And the point is, all of heaven is involved in sanctioning these judgments. Angels are not here seeking to help people at this point. Angels are actually involved in destroying people in the tribulation. And the angel is going to be part of the process to kick off this judgment. Now, the third fact is, the fourth tribulation judgment features a pale or ashen horse. That's where this comes from. A pale or ashen horse. This is not a white horse. It's not a fiery red horse or a black horse. It's a pale or ashen horse. And it's a Greek word that describes a color that is a sickly pale green. In fact, a form of this very word is used in Revelation 8 7. It's translated green. Alan Ross said pale chloros denotes a yellowish green, a light green of a plant, or paleness of a sick person in contrast to a healthy person. Certainly is a fitting color for this judgment, Dr. Charles Ryrie called this a sickly yellowish green. Now you know when you are around people and they're about to go into eternity, they lose that rosy color look. I mean, they have a good color to them, and as they get near eternity, there's a pale yellowish green death look about them, and that's the color of this horse. I mean, that's the color of this angelic being that's going to be involved in this judgment. It will be a pale ashen horse. The fourth fact is, the fourth tribulation judgment features a rider named Death who's followed by Hades. Now, that's what's stated in verse 8. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following him. Now, the rider of this horse has a terrifying name, The rider of this horse has the name of death. This is the only rider who actually has a name that we actually know, and it's a scary name. Hades is a hellish type of place where unbelievers go when they die. Unbelievers go to this place called Hades, and they burn there in fire until they're finally sentenced to the eternal lake of fire. I'll show you that in just a minute. Luke describes Hades as a place of terrible torment. It's a place that is so fiery, awful, and agonizing that one drop of water on the tip of somebody's finger would actually quench a thirst. I want you to go back to see that in Luke chapter 16. That would be worth our time to do that. Go back to Luke chapter 16, if you would, for just a second, and let's get Dr. Luke's description of what Hades is like. In Luke chapter 16, and we have here the rich man and Lazarus dies, and we read in Luke 16, verse 23, that this rich man was taken to Hades. And it says in verse 23 of Luke 16, In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. That's what Hades is like. It's a place of fiery torment, where one drop of water on the tip of somebody's finger would quench a thirst. Now, the people who go to this place of Hades are there until you get over to Revelation chapter 20. So go over to Revelation chapter 20 for a minute. And drop down, if you would, please, to verse 14. Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So what happens here, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So what happens is, the people who die right now, who are not believers, they go to this fiery place of torment called Hades, and there they stay until... They will be called to face Jesus Christ one time at the great white throne judgment, and the works books will be called up and judge every one of them. And the end result will be, after this judgment, they'll be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. So, the people who are being killed here in the tribulation, when you get to this particular 4 seal judgment, are being killed, and they're dying, and they're going to Hades. We're talking here about a massive number of unbelievers. Now, according to Revelation one eighteen, the keys of death and Hades are held by Jesus Christ. They're not held by Satan, and they're not held by the Antichrist. The keys of death and Hades are held by Jesus Christ, and what this fourth seal judgment apparently does is it authorizes a judgment in the Great Tribulation that's going to kill one quarter of the world's population, and all those that are killed in this particular judgment are sent to Hades. They're targeted unbelievers. They're targeted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one authorizing them to be killed, and then they're sent to this horrible place of torment. And the people being targeted here are not people who love the Lord, and they're not people who love the Word of God and they're not people that had a regard for Israel. These are devilish people, devilish people who made a mockery of things. And so ultimately, what is going to happen in this particular judgment is they're going to be targeted, and all these people who are unbelievers heading to Hades are going to be targeted by the Lord Jesus Christ in this judgment. And as we mentioned With nearly 8 billion people in the world, just this one judgment is going to kill 2 billion people. And all of the 2 billion people, what I understand the grammar is saying, are going to end up in Hades. That's an unbelievable number. It's greater than the total number of people that now live in North America, Central America, and South America. There's nothing comparable to this. So when you talk to these people who say, I think we're in the tribulation, really? Well, show me that. Show me where you have this kind of numbers of people that are dying in just one episode that takes place worldwide. There's nothing comparable to this anywhere in history. Now, the fifth fact that's brought out about this judgment is this fourth tribulation judgment kills people by four different stated ways. You'll notice what the Lord Jesus Christ does. He authorizes this judgment to go forth, and verse 8 says, authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. There are four specifically stated ways that God is going to kill people when this judgment goes down. And we may assume that this all hits at once, in a rapid-fire way. Some suggest that it's one after another. I think he allows all of these things to come into play when he breaks this seal. So if you don't die one way, you're going to die another way. I mean, that's what I think is going on here. I think he's unleashing these four ways people can die. They come at you from all different angles, no matter where you're at. The first way that people can die is by sword. Now, in chapter 6, verse 4, we saw last time that there was this sword, this Machaira sword, which is a short dagger type of sword for close in fighting. This is a different word here, different noun used here for sword in verse 8. This particular Greek word, romphaia, is a particular sword that talks about a large sword. So we're talking about just a lot of killing that's going on. We're talking about all kinds of ways that people are being killed from. Not so much in close fighting, but all kinds of things that are going to kill them. I mean, it might be long rifle shots, or I don't know. I don't know all the things that are going to be involved in this thing. But the wars are going to be plentiful. You've got murder and killing that's taking place. It's already abounding. And you have violent hand weapons that are being used by just average citizens. They're out killing and murdering, using knives and swords. And now they go to their larger weapons, whatever that is. Now, the population of Kalamazoo County is 264,000 people. So just in this one judgment, 66,000 people living in Kalamazoo County will end up dead. And one of the ways they're going to end up dead is by the sword. The second death way is by famine. Now, famine was already killing people. We saw that when we went through seal judgment number three. But this will take starvation to a new level. God will actually cause many people to starve to death. There'll be no food, and there'll be no feed the hungry program that's going to stop it. What most people don't realize about God is that he can make a place into a place that's feasting, or he can make a place into a place that's experiencing a famine. He can do that with an individual life. He can take an individual life and bless them so they're just enjoying life and feasting on good things, or he can take it all away and put them in a famine time where they don't get any joy out of anything. The fourth way he describes that he's going to kill people is by pestilence. That's what he says there in verse 8 God's going to send all kinds of fatal diseases to kill people. And that word pestilence is one that means he'll use various diseases. I'm telling you, you're just going to see as the stage gets set for this, more and more of this stuff. And I don't care how many shots you have. I don't care how many vaccines people have. They can have all the vaccines. They're want. they not going to stop this. When God starts sending diseases and viruses and bacterial infections that he wants to kill people, that's exactly what it'll do. And there's no doctor going to be able to stop it. There's no health organization that's going to be able to stop it. You're not going to be able to come up with a cure for this stuff. God says, when this seal judgment goes down, I'm taking pestilences. I'm going to kill people with it. And then he says, wild beasts, wild beasts. Now, the animal world belongs to God. They're wonderful beings in that animal world. And God is going to permit his predator animals to increase And God's going to permit predator animals to kill humans, including children. God promises in many passages this judgment is coming. He said it in Ezekiel. We saw it in Jeremiah. There's coming judgments in which he's going to use predator animals to destroy people. The wild beasts belong to God. He can actually command those wild beasts to kill people anytime he wants. And he can have them come from any direction he wants. He can have them come from the mountains, from the forests, from the swamps. He can have them come from the fields to kill and destroy. Now, during the tribulation period, when those first seal judgments are getting underway, people are going to flee to remote areas. And we'll see that, Lord willing, next Sunday night in that sixth seal judgment. They're going to flee to many remote areas. They'll go out to the mountain areas. They're going to go to wilderness areas. Perhaps they will go into swamp areas thinking, you know, if we can get back away from people, if we can somehow hide out in the mountain or in the swamps, nobody's going to be able to come back here and kill us. God said, well, my animals are there. They'll kill you. I'll have my animals. I'll actually call my wild beasts. They'll kill you no matter where you go. And when you search the Bible, there have been moments where God has literally used animals to kill people. For example, in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 6, God killed many of his own people by snakes. He actually had a bunch of venomous snakes bite and kill people. In Deuteronomy 32, 24, God promised that he would permit beasts to use their teeth, snakes, and lizards to use their venom to kill as a judgment. And Moses was actually predicting this very sealed judgment that would take place in the tribulation, where he says that's what's going to happen. There are going to be poisonous serpents and poisonous lizards and beasts that will use their teeth to kill people. In Joshua 24, 12, God used hornets, hornets, to get rid of the Amorites. In fact, he said, I'm calling the hornets, and they'll chase the Amorites out of the land. I'll give the land to Israel. And he said to Israel, you didn't even use a weapon there. I just called hornets to do it. Then in 2 Kings 2.24, God sent two female bears, and those two female bears killed 42 children that were making fun of Elijah. And then you have in 2 Kings 17.25, God used lions to kill people. The Assyrians had moved in there, and they had replaced Israel in Samaritan cities, and so they had no fear of God whatsoever. So God used lions, you can read about that in Second Kings, and he said, I'll take my lions in there, and I'll have them kill people, and they will fear me. And then in Jeremiah 5, 6, God promised to use lions and wolves and leopards to kill people and rip them to shreds. And that was a prediction Jeremiah was making of this very sealed judgment that would take place in the tribulation. Back in 1935, William Newell predicted there's going to come a day in America when these wild beasts are going to begin to multiply. Animals such as wolves and grizzlies and black bears and coyotes and gators and mountain lions and snakes and sharks. They're going to multiply and they're also going to lose their fear of humans. And just yesterday, in Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach, I mean, it's a vacation spot. This was actually at some yacht resort area. An alligator killed a man. And they said, between them and Florida, These attacks are getting worse and worse. What God promises he's going to do when this judgment goes down is, I'll authorize all four of those methods to kill people. I'll let people be killed by a sword. I'll let them be killed by famine. I'll let them be killed by beasts. And I'll let them also be killed by pestilence. I will let all four of those ways kill people. And when this judgment comes, all will be operative and the world is going to be experiencing a death sentence, the likes of which they have never experienced before. They won't be able to run from this. They won't be able to hide from this because no matter where they go, God says, I'll just track you right down. Which brings us to the fifth seal judgment, the great tribulation judgment of martyrdom. Verse 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained that they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, obviously, not all the people who die in the tribulation are going to end up in Hades. And you get a group here specifically singled out who are going to end up in heaven. Now, in the first four sealed judgments, the living creatures were involved in the process of carrying out the judgments. However, in the final three sealed judgments, the living creatures seemed to disappear, which would seem to suggest we're now entering a major change in things going on in the Great Tribulation. When we examine the parallel passage Of the tribulation in Matthew 24, we can observe that the martyrdom judgment, the martyrdom judgment occurs just after what Jesus called was the beginning of birth pangs. So, this begins a new phase of judgments in which God's people and God's property become the focal point. Jesus said, they will deliver you to tribulation, they'll kill you, you'll be hated by all nations on account of my name, and at that time many will fall and will deliver up one another and hate one another. When the Great Tribulation begins, people all over the world are going to be trying to survive. However, as the Great Tribulation develops, things are going to begin to turn against God's people. Now, to this point, and especially in the previous judgment, death and Hades, we know that God's been killing a lot of unbelievers. He's been killing... Christ-rejecting, Bible-hating, God-mocking, Israel-hating unbelievers. So, as he's killing them, the unbelievers that are left are going to say, it's time for them people to die. Those people who haven't been killed, those people who apparently, they're not unbelievers, and they aren't getting killed with the same... Seal judgments that we're receiving there. And so there's going to be a real sense in which they say, let's kill these people of God. And there are four important facts that are brought out here. Number one, the fifth tribulation judgment begins when Jesus Christ breaks the seal. That's what we see in verse nine, when the lamb broke the fifth seal. Again, this is all authorized by Jesus Christ. Look, if you don't accept Jesus Christ in this grace age, and you don't believe in him and invite him into your life to be your savior, you're a fool. You're a fool. You don't want to go into this stuff. You want to be connected to this stuff. God's people, for the most part, are people in the tribulation who they obviously didn't accept it before the rapture of the church. They obviously came to faith in Jesus Christ after the rapture. These believers rejected Jesus Christ during the Grace Age. Who knows how many services they sat in in a church just like this? Who knows? How many times these people went to church and they heard they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they didn't do it. Well, after the rapture, they're going to begin to realize, you know, we really made a mistake here we really messed up. We should have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because those who reject Jesus Christ during the grace age will discover getting to heaven isn't going to be easy like it was for those other believers who were caught up in the air and met the Lord. We're not going to be able to get there the same way. Now, the keys of death are in the hands of Jesus Christ. And our moment of death is not determined by a health club or diet or by fate or by an accident. Our specific moment of death is determined by Jesus Christ. He can take us into eternity any way he wants. He can take us into eternity via a sickness. That's what he did with Elisha. He can take us into eternity by old age. That's what he did with Moses. He can take a believer into eternity through some brutal method if he wants, some horrible accident. He can take a believer into eternity like Paul was beheaded, Peter was crucified upside down, Once this seal judgment begins, the way that believers are going to die is going to be a brutal martyrdom. A brutal martyrdom. Which brings us to the second fact, the fifth tribulation judgment is a judgment of martyrdom. And I saw the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. We know that all over the world... In some isolated spots at the present time, there are Christians that are being persecuted and even killed. We pray for them every Wednesday night. We don't know them by name. Sometimes we don't even know where they are. We do pray for different countries and states every Wednesday night. We realize there are people that are Christians who are being persecuted all over this world of ours. We try to pray for them. But this judgment here is not going to be just some isolated spot out there in the world somewhere. This is going to be worldwide. And there are two observations we make here. John actually saw this. He saw the souls of those who had been slain. He didn't see the bodies. That's what he says. That's what he says there in the verse. He said, and I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. Obviously, what we can conclude from that is souls are recognizable in heaven. As we point out in memorial services, Paul who went to heaven and said, I couldn't tell you whether I was in or out of my body. What you learn from that statement right there is when a soul goes to heaven, the person is still recognizable. John sees them. John's seeing their soul as they're before heaven. And these new bodies that'll be the final glorified bodies aren't given to believers until you get over in Revelation chapter 20. And that's a ways off yet. And so what obviously happens when a believer dies today and they go to be with the Lord, their soul is there. They're recognizable. They're seen. They're known. They're just not some unseen spirit being floating around in the clouds. The second thing John saw is he saw these souls underneath the altar. That's what he says in verse 9. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Now, The underneath the altar is just a wonderful sacred spot because that altar was the place where the blood was poured out and it ran under it and it was the offering blood of the sacrifice. And so what that would say is these martyrs are all there by sacrifice of blood that didn't come from them. They're at the throne of God by the sacrifice of a sacred altar blood that was shed that came from Jesus Christ. And John said, I saw those souls there. And he said there were two main reasons why they were killed. Number one, because of the word of God. That's what he says in verse 9. They had been slain because of the word of God. These believers were killed because they knew the word of God. They communicated it. In fact, the Greek text is very emphatic here. The word of the God. These believers who had come to faith after the rapture, knew things about biblical prophecy. They knew things about God's word. They were telling people that word during the tribulation. They were obviously going around telling people, I'll tell you what's happening here. We're experiencing the wrath of God. It's coming right out of heaven. It's coming from God. We're in the tribulation, the great tribulation. They were communicating that point. These believers knew what the tribulation was, and they also knew they were in it. And they were telling people that they needed to believe in Jesus Christ because God was pouring out his wrath on this Christ-rejecting, God-mocking, Bible-hating, Israel-hating world. They were telling people, Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of this thing. It's going to win. So you need to right now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that message that they were believing and communicating got them killed. They were killed because of the message of communicating the word of God. Secondly, they're executed because of their testimony for God. Verse 9 says, and because of the testimony which they had maintained, these believers wouldn't shut up. You have to admire them. They were witnessing for Jesus Christ. We suspect that they had some perspective of a prophetic breakdown of things, and they were probably explaining to people, you know, those Christians that disappeared, it wasn't aliens that took them. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that took them. And the Lord Jesus Christ has kicked off the tribulation. And he's going to come back and he's going to establish a kingdom. And when he comes back to establish that kingdom, Israel is once again going to be the nation of God. And he'll come in all of his glory as his second coming. And they probably knew stuff about the Antichrist is going to surface. and They knew something about Satan. And that got him killed. The third fact is this judgment features the martyrs communicating in heaven. Verse 10 says, and they cried out... With a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The martyrs of the great tribulation who are before the throne wonder, God, how long is it going to be now until you go down there and settle that score and avenge those that killed us? You know what this really is? Think about this. This is a prayer at the throne of God for God to pour out vengeance. Go down there and get revenge for us what those people did to us. And they apparently have some perception of the chronological time in heaven because they realize that as they're before the throne of God, God to this point hasn't avenged them. And man, do these guys who are at this throne have a high holy view of God. First of all, they call him Lord with despotes, which is a very unique, proper noun that they're using here for God, extremely rare And this refers to the fact that God is the absolute sovereign owner and controller of all things. And also they're praising him because he's holy and true and sovereign. I guarantee you this, at the throne of God, nobody is going to quibble about the sovereignty of God. These souls that are there before the throne of God, they're praising God for his sovereignty and they realize what he has the power of doing. They realize that he can go down there and settle this business anytime he wants to. And what's also, I think, important for us to realize is they're not standing before the throne of God saying, hey, let's just forget about what those people did. I mean, they're not before the throne of God saying, let's just forget about those God mockers. Let's just love them. Let's just overlook it. Let's just tolerate them. Let's just forgive them. They want justice. And they want judgment. And they want God to settle that score. See, they're just... So many people, they don't get this about God because they're not being taught the truth. They're getting bits and pieces of concepts of God that are invented by people in their own minds. It's what they want to believe about God. It's not what God reveals himself to be. God is a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. They bring that out here. He's a just holy God. And there will be justice meted out at his throne. Wrongs are not just forgotten. I mean, that's why... Jesus said, man, if you have something that you've done that's wrong, you better settle that account before you get before God. You settle up that deal because you don't want to get before his throne and have him hold you accountable for something you refuse to do in making that deal right. Which brings us to the fourth fact. The fifth tribulation judgment features special heavenly ministry to tribulation martyrs. Verse 11 teaches us that God took two specific actions. First of all, he gave them a special robe, a stole luke, a white robe. That's how you say it in Hebrew, stole luke. He gave them a white robe. We could call this a special, glorious white robe of grace. And that robe, which shows up later in the book, symbolizes the fact you're there because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're there because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, these martyrs rejected Jesus Christ in the church age, which is why they're in the tribulation. But after the rapture of the church, some had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were given this robe of white righteousness that enables them to be at the throne of God. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists that we'll see show up in Revelation 7 haven't come on the scene yet, So these are believers who have trusted Jesus Christ shortly after the rapture. And what is so important to see is what gets them the privilege of standing before the throne as they've been washed in the blood of the lamb. They don't get there. They don't get this white robe by their own works. And their works would include martyrdom. They were killed because of their stand for the word of God and because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. They get there by the shed blood of the lamb, which gives them that white robe. Which brings us to the second action, God gives each of them a special message. He said in verse 3, rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Now the message they receive is you need to just rest for a little while because we're not through the tribulation yet. We have a little ways to go. So you just quiet down and enjoy rest and just enjoy the fellowship that you have there in heaven because we have a finale that we have to work out on the Great Tribulation. You see, God's wrath is not some fickle thing. It's highly calculated. He talks about it as filling up the wine vat of God. There's a limit to the wrath of God, very specified amount of things that have to happen. It's a precise number. Precise number of people have to die. And he says, your fellow servants, your brethren, which would include all believers of the tribulation, there's still many that are yet going to die in this tribulation judgment. In the first three and a half years, primarily the people who will die will be Gentile believers. In the last three and a half years, the time of Jacob's trouble predicted in the scriptures, two-thirds of the Jews are going to die by hands of the Antichrist. and Only one-third are going to survive. So God says, you need to just rest here for a while. You're now in heaven. You're at my throne. Just rest and just realize we have a ways to go yet. Now, there are some observations that we want to make from this judgment. Number one, once a believer gets to heaven, he's at rest. And that's a good thing to know. Once you get out of this world, your work on earth is done. Struggles are over. You're at rest. Secondly, once a believer is in heaven, he still has memories of what happened on earth. Your mind doesn't go blank. It's not like your mind's reprogrammed. You don't remember who you were. I mean, it's obvious these martyrs not only remember who they were, they remember what happened to them. Thirdly, once a believer is in heaven, he doesn't instantly experience all the things he desires to experience in one moment. These guys want to get at it. They want judgment to come out. God said, it will. It's coming out, but it's going to be according to my plan. So it'll happen, but according to the plan of God, not according to the plan of any one of us. Fourthly, once a believer is in heaven, he recognizes the amazing sovereignty of God. Fifthly, once a believer is in heaven, he recognizes the holiness and truthfulness of God. But sixthly, just because judgment is temporarily delayed does not mean it will not be completely fulfilled, because this judgment will be completely fulfilled. Now, here's the deal. There are people that go to church, just like this one, and they hear this stuff, and Some people never take the time to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives to be their Savior. That's how this business is going to work. You're going to have a lot of people end up in the tribulation period who, if they would have believed in the Lord and invited him into their lives, would have never had to go into this. You don't want to be in this. You don't want to be in this where you're out in your yard wondering if a grizzly bear is going to come out and kill you. Or you're afraid you're like some coward. You won't even go to a store. You're afraid some pestilence is going to get you. You don't want to live like that. You don't want to be at a time when you're going into a store wondering, will I even come out of the store alive? I mean, people are just slaughtering and killing each other. Well, we're seeing some of that stuff actually begin to take shape of what's going to happen in the tribulation period. But you don't want to live like You don't want to be in this tribulation period. And there's an easy way of escape. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite him into your life. And you'll be gone before this happens. But there's a warning here. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the kind of thing you'll experience in the tribulation. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, take care of it tonight. Settle up with God. Don't wait till it's too late. I think we're real near the rapture, actually. I'm not a date setter or a fanatic, but I do think we're nearing it. So right now where you're at, you just pray something like this, God, I'm a sinner, I know that. I admit it. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. And right now I place all of my faith in him to save me. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.